Hello, I'm Shelly Till. Welcome to the Too Much Grit to Quit podcast, where I speak to some of the greatest athletic minds about overcoming adversity and building your grit muscle. My guest today is a household name amongst basketball fans. She's compiled more than 600 wins, including stops at Maine, Michigan State, where she took that team to its first ever national title game, and then eventually took her career to Duke University, where her accolades are numerous and include eight consecutive Elite Eight appearances. She also tops off her women's basketball coaching expertise with two gold medals as the head coach of Team USA. She is the author of her newly released book, Secret Warrior, a coach and fighter on and off the court. Please welcome everyone who affectionately refers to as Coach P, Joanne P. McCauley. Nice to see you. Nice to see you, Shelly, and thanks for having me. Absolutely. I appreciate you. I know you're super busy. The launch of this book um, has been amazing. I saw you on GMA with Robin Roberts. Um, you know, the, the book is getting all kinds of buzz amongst the coaching community. Um, and I'm just curious, what was the intent uh, to come out after your coaching career and put this book out into the world? Well, it just, it's been coming on for years. Um, when I was 39, after that national championship run, I thought there might be a platform. So I thought about it then and then was counseled, maybe not a great idea because it would affect my coaching, perhaps me as a candidate for other jobs, if I wanted or what have you. Um, so at that point I held the information, thought about it a lot, you know, kind of compartmentalized it. And then I was in a church at a funeral for one of my teammates' daughters, and she had taken her life and possibly been misdiagnosed um, with her situation, which made me feel incredibly, I don't know, uh, not selfish, but incredibly withholding about my situation if it fact could help people. I mean, and save just one life uh, being a bipolar person. So it really resonated in that church and, it was powerful and that's what really made me want to write it. <clears throat> and it seems like it's the best time to write it. Um, so here we are, Secret Warrior. Well, I, I have to tell you, I, um, I can completely understand and resonate with that story. Um, as you know, I do uh, women's basketball broadcasting and a few years back um, at your alma mater at Northwestern, mm -hmm. one of their young ladies took her life. And mm -hmm. I have actually happened to be calling their next game after wow. uh, Gordon Hankins what was the young lady's name. And it was at, uh, in the area I was at Purdue, um, the, and she was from the Indianapolis area. So went to that funeral. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. wow. Team, um, including the Purdue team, because all you know, they had gone to high school together and played AAU ball together, and just you know, the community of women's basketball just came together to rally around this young lady's family, uh, the Northwestern team. And I just sat there, Joanne, and I thought to myself, "What could we do? Like, what can I do to? This doesn't need to happen. Like, it was so sad, and it was so incredibly moving, and just to see the the pain in these mm -hmm. young women's lives. And I thought, this has got to stop." You know, mm -hmm. she's one of millions throughout the, the decades of women's basketball, I'm sure. Um, I've had those feelings as a player. And I know numerous other athletes, coaches who have struggled with brain health. 
-hmm. And you're right. Um, you, you made a comment. Um, I heard you say story over stigma. Mm -hmm. I think we're still battling clearly. I mean, it's getting better. I feel like we're moving the goal, the, the, the stick yeah. down the field, right? Yes. And I, I can't, we are so similar in experiences in our, in our church experiences with Jordan and also with Courtney. And, um, at this point in time, I think the stories matter. I think people, especially with a public platform, I know it can be scary. I know it can affect careers, but I think it's time, you know, courageous acts are, can be painful or can be revealing, but I do think it's important for us to have that courage and tell the stories because if one person can read Secret Warrior and be changed about their brain health, you know, you can cognitively restructure people. People can rethink things, rethink emotions. And that's kind of what I would be getting at. It, you know, other than that, it, it's just something I can also use in speaking and motivational speaking and to use my coaching skills on a wider platform, <clears throat> again, to reach out to all ages, all ethnicities, all gender, it doesn't matter. Um, mental health does not discriminate. And so stories you know, over stigmas is really, really important and certainly thematic uh, to what I'm trying to do. I was on a, um, a group chat, a group, there's a thing, a plat new platform called Clubhouse. Don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's an audio, all audio platform. It's been really a great thing, I think, throughout this pandemic for people to be able to come together from all over the world. And we were in a group talking about athletes' mental health. Mm -hmm. And um, your book came up. And one of the questions was, uh, because we were talking about the stigma and we were talking about, you know, why people don't step say things and especially amongst coaches but we'll get to that but what what the question was was yeah but even she waited until her basketball career was over to talk mm -hmm. to talk mm -hmm. about it what that's how athletes feel right it's like yes. i don't want to say anything i don't want to be labeled i don't want to be retaliated against i don't want mm -hmm. all of the bad stuff that we think and, and conjure up in our minds to come out so what would you say in response to that? Well, they're absolutely correct. And that's reflective of the stigmas. Um, my, my events occurred 25 years ago. And this is part of the reason to write Secret Warrior is to show that, yes, I had to step away, most likely. And also, too, our, my universities, particularly at Duke, knew of my situation. And that, that's a good thing um, to, to get that support. But also, it, it brings up a question as my you know, contract was not renewed, you know, where does that come from? I mean, we did finish third in the league uh, in a very, very difficult league. And um, we had had quite a 13 year run at that point. And so you can only speculate and it's not worthy of too much discussion, mm -hmm. but the reality is discrimination and looking at people differently, evaluating people differently. Um, to be honest with you, I can't imagine a men's coach not being renewed after finishing third in their own conference uh, that is dominant as the ACC. And so I, I say that, you know, just as a measure of that person who spoke is exactly right. And I think discrimination can be occurring in this day and age now. And I can also, there's a funny uh, underlying, not discrimination, but just the discomfort. Yeah. I have noticed people treating me a little bit differently looking at me differently. And also some are afraid to reach out and say, you know, anything about the story. And I, that's, that's where we are. And hopefully 
you know, I am a person that speaks my mind and I hope that change can occur by secret warrior being out. A lot of people might not write their secret warriors, you know, might not share their experience. Um, I'm 55. I'm still very, you know, whether I could get a coaching job now or not is up to debate. You know, what athletic director would have the courage? Uh, I don't know if too many would. And so therefore, foregoing perhaps 15 years of potential more coaching uh, in order to tell the story and come out about it. Well, I can tell you that that is, um, I don't know, I, I think that's pretty important and pretty significant uh, and reflective of the day that we're in. And I think it's extremely courageous, I have to say. Um, I just in the, in the work that I do in this space, even as, and I'm not a, a coach, but in that broadcast space, it's a, you're taking a risk um, because you're putting your opinions out there, you're putting your story out there, um, you're questioning the way things are done in some regard and the effect that it's having on young men and women that are playing this sport, but you're shedding light on the profession of coaching itself. And I am so excited <laughs> and thankful that you're doing that because it starts with the leadership. It starts with the coach. The, the impact that a coach has on an athlete is, is so far, far beyond just the four years or five years that you may have that young man or man or woman. Mm -hmm. And so a coach's brain health, a coach's mental and emotional well-being, just like it does in your family, right? It spills over onto your, onto your players. And so as you look back, Joanne, and, and everything that you've, you know, learned through all of this, what, talk about that impact. How did this impact in your, well, your team? Those of us that go through the therapy and really have to dedicate ourselves to examining our brains actually get an advantage if we're able to cope and get the right medicine. Now, there's a continuum of people, and I'm careful to say that many people have not been as fortunate with medicine and also handling this disease because it's just such a wide ranging situation. But what I do want people to know, you can manage it. You do not have to avoid stressful work in order to be successful. Now, when I was at Maine, I was the most, just the toughest coach. I was so tough. I was so tough on those teams. I was young, I was energetic, wanting to do well. And got to my brain balance halfway through my career there, which then provided me with an opportunity to be at my best self. And again, some people can take issue with this because they can say, well, I cycle daily or I am not at my best health, you know, because of this. And I only can empathize and know that those stories are true, but that cannot prevent me from telling my story which is at the, you know, at Michigan State, in five years, we played for a national championship after being mid Big Ten. I think to this date, there hasn't been a Big Ten team to play in a national championship. Um, I think Maryland has been to the Final Four, but I'm not sure there's been a national championship team present, which shows what those women did and what we did together. Again, going on to Duke, a very special place, we were able to do many things, always a demanding coach, always, you know, making sure people were in shape, ready to go strong. And definitely there's conflict, but that conflict was a reflection of my own balance. Mm -hmm. And at times you can see 
other people not in balance, not, not saying that they're bipolar or have a mental illness, but let's face it, stress does a lot of things to people. And I had to be examining myself, you know, monthly, weekly. And so I was put in that position. And those of us that are bipolar might want to consider the benefit, the actual benefit that we can have if we can get through the darkness. Mm -hmm. If you can get through the darkness, you can get to a place um, of having a baby as I did um, while being diagnosed and while on medication. So the, I'm not gonna back down on what the hope is for Secret Warrior and what we can possibly do. It, it, the story had to be told. I, I couldn't hold that my lifetime mm -hmm. and feel as if I had given what I was really called to do which apparently was to have the success we had and then bring back the story. Um, so I'm, I'm getting all sorts of feedback and it's mostly very positive with the bipolar community. It's positive, but also people wanting to state, well, my situation's different, but I still say, yes, your situation is different, but by taking certain actions, perhaps it can be better. And maybe anything in Secret Warrior can you know, reach out or, or stick out in order to help. And I think you, you also brought up something that's very important in this coaching space is this coaching, athletic coaching, especially at the, at the highest, highest level is not a job. It's a lifestyle. Yes, it is. <laughs> right. And I, I think that people outside, I always say like athletics is a language. <laughs> if you don't speak it, you don't understand it. And there's people that don't get, um, you know, being a coach at, at the level that you've coached at and what all comes along with that and the pressure and the stress and it's 24 seven. And so, which is why I said, I believe that you're courageous because it doesn't stop and you are able to manage and, and um, address brain health issues. So what would you say to other coaches out there who might think, yeah, I'm not bipolar, but I struggle with anxiety or depression or, you know, there's a whole host of ways that our brains can be affected by stress and also um, past trauma or it could be chemically, chemical, whatever. So what is your advice to coaches? Well, you don't have to come out. First of all, it's a very private decision to come out with that information. So I wouldn't, that's just too personal to comment on. But what I would say is use your experience as you have doctors and therapists and seek those out and use those experiences to share with your teams that it's okay to have a therapist, to have somebody outside, um, to have a psychiatrist if necessary, but to go along the avenues of support. Routines matter. Part of what's happening in our country today with the pandemic is that routines are off. Everyone is feeling um, off their you know, off their schedule and not sure how to handle all this space of time. Uh, there's so much going on with each individual. Again, it doesn't have to be, not everybody's bipolar and not everybody has a mental health issue. But if I'm a coach, I have the opportunity to influence. And in that influence, I have an opportunity to share with the team, which I did. I've ta I talked about my faith with the team because they allowed me to. I had to get permission to be able to do that because, you know, so we talked about faith and our strength that way. And then I also shared, I didn't share my directly and say I'm bipolar. I shared that I've had a therapist. Mm -hmm. I've worked with other people 
And then by modeling and being a mentor, I mean, we need mentors. That's the thing we need now. Of course, the doctors are given, mm-hmm. but we need mentors who can speak the language. Um, I just had a person call me who is diagnosed bipolar in this past year. And I could fill in a lot of blanks, even though we're two different people on a different continuum of bipolar, I was able to, I hope, help a little bit after having someone who's had it 25 years. Mm -hmm. I mean, let's face it, experience matters. A 25 year person, just like a 25 year coach is very different than a first year coach. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of things that take place during those years. And so using the same principle, I hope to coach. I hope to coach on a wider scale, as many podcasts as possible to get the message out and letting people know that I'm trying to start a foundation for mental health um, books don't exactly make you money unless you're Stephen King, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so basically you're putting out a lot of resources to write a book. I mean, I have an out, you know, resources have been spent enormously to get out Secret Warrior. So I ask that people buy it. Mm-hmm. And yes, I want, I want money so that I can speak uh, and, and bring monies in and make sure a percentage of those go ahead to the Mental Health Foundation. And this is a longer period of time in which I hope to be an advocate. I mean, I'm an advocate for life, but I hope to make change with this foundation and then go from there. You hit on uh, the word support. And I know that you've had the support of your family, of your husband, of of your players. I'm curious what you would, would say in a perfect world, what would support look like at the university level from administration for coaches in this space? Well, I think it would, again, if, if they are to know about a person, first of all, it should be okay to say I'm bipolar and it should then be okay to have consistent decisions and awareness made about bipolar. For example, if I'm bipolar, I may have appointments with a doctor, let's say, or you know, people involved that support me And being able to support the coach in that avenue is part of the deal. Just because, I mean, if you have fine coaches that are going to head and win games um, and championships and develop people, then you've got to support them in all areas, just like you would if they had a heart problem Mm -hmm. or if they had high blood pressure or whatever it may be. And that's just, you know, part of the deal as an administrator. And I think many administrators are scared They try to cover their tail, meaning we don't want any problems whatsoever. And that, that is, that's a very difficult thing um, in our world of athletics today is to be authentic and to be able to balance um, demands certainly with support uh, for coaches. So coach P take us, uh, inside the, the chapters, inside the book, when a, a reader gets this book, what are they going to explore along with you? I hope they take the journey with me and my teams and recognize the loyalty of the main women. I, I can't, you know, the main women were particular because they went through two episodes with me, which allowed me to get the help I needed. In the process, we won championships. We fought through it together and we were able to get our best selves out there. And so it talks about this journey and includes much about bipolar. And so if if a person puts the book down, 
I would like them to know much more about mental health, much more about bipolar, and to feel that there was a darkness to the story and how it came to light in support and how student athletes can be tremendous in supporting their coaches and recognizing that support is a two-way street. You know, I support you as a student athlete and you support me. Well, that is, that is so reflected in my experience at the University of Maine. And this is 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure this would have occurred. Um, would I have ever gotten to Michigan State and that national title? Would I ever have gotten to Duke in those elite eights with those special teams in this day and age, in this day and age where everyone's trying to get things right away, immediacy all the time. I, I think that I would have been perhaps let go or not understood or what have you. I mean, I can't know, but I know that in this day and age, there's quickly things happening, uh, coaches being let go, accusations, things that are unfounded, um, some are founded, um, but the reality is the world today is all about what can you give me today mm-hmm. and what can you give my daughter or son today? And if not, I'll transfer, you know, tra- tra- transferring is just like trying to, you know, remove a coach, isn't it? Right. I mean, isn't transferring, leaving one program and coach for another, mm-hmm. isn't that the, its way of saying, I, I'm not getting enough and I need more, but do they, do student athletes always need more? or do they have to improve their situation? You know, those hard lessons of being a sophomore and not playing as much, you know, those hard lessons of saying, having to understand that skill sets have to improve. Those hard lessons of learning to make free throws, those hard lessons, you know, there's a lot of lessons out there that I think are, people are bypassing those lessons. Okay. And of course, now, we, now we've got this transfer situation where it's just absolutely crazy. Oh, it's an and epidemic. the university, it's, well, it's an, yes, it's its own situation. Mm-hmm. And universities are backing down completely. I mean, completely. Oh, go ahead, transfer in conference. Oh, go ahead. You know, now we just saw this student athlete at this school, and now we see him at this school. And it just, you know, there are rights and responsibilities, and they must be balanced. And at some point, there must be a responsibility of a young person to at least maybe give two years to a situation. I mean, you know, give some opportunity. So that's a little bit off topic, but I think some of this stuff floats around a little oh, bit. It absolutely does. And it all come, it, it, it's all under the, the, um, the umbrella because I think what happens is um, you get in a situation where, what, like what you just said, it, the player, the freshman wants immediate gratification. Maybe the parents want immediate gratification and they don't understand the, you know, they didn't step on the floor as a freshman at their high school, most of them, and just dominate right away. Maybe some did, but the point is, I think what you said, it's a two-way street. There's, there's, you know, it's not all the coach's responsibility. It's not all the player's responsibility. It's, it's meeting somewhere in the middle. And on top of that, you're bringing in, in basketball, 15 different personalities from 15 different backgrounds <laughs> yeah. and, and trying to manage and understand and, you know, connect with. And so um, the, the reason I, I bring that up is because I read uh, in a book, it's Sean Aker, Big Potential. I don't know if you've ever read it. I lo- it's a great book. But he talks about, you know, I think we the old way used to be, it's survival of the fittest. It's dog eat dog. <laughs> yeah. Go at each other, right? Back and, in our day. Back yeah, in our day. It, totally. 
I talk, oh my God, we could have a whole podcast on that. Yeah. It's like, we were not allowed emotions. What the hell was that? You know, you don't don't get emotions. You just show up and do what I tell you to do. Um, But it's, he shifted the narrative to survival of the best fit. And I thought that was really interesting because Mm -hmm. everybody doesn't fit everywhere. And, And that's okay. But how do you know? if you don't try and if you don't invest fully in it and give it your all on both sides, all sides of the equation. Well, yeah, and there's definitely situations, I mean, that occur. I mean, we had a young lady who got all the degrees she could possibly get from Duke. And now, you know, Kyra's having an incredible career at Texas. Well, that transfer made perfect sense, perfect sense, because she had to take a new experience and academically pursue something different. Mm -hmm. So we're not here to say that all transfers are bad. There are definitely situations. But what we are here to say, are there any parents out there like mine who said, just because you're not playing, you're not transferring? Mm -hmm. I, I can remember the phone call I made as a sophomore, and I said, you know, I'm, I'm not part of the plan of this team only to go on to the NCAA tournament our senior year and be, a, you know, a player in that team. And so the value of what I learned through that experience is, is something that prepared me for something much more serious with this bipolar episodes and having to be this kind of person and manage my brain health in a special way. And so sports can't prepare you unless you go through the conflict and the issues of sport. And it's not calling mom and dad. It's not saying, oh, let's call the president of the university. Let's try to interfere. I mean, there are so many stories out there that are just crazy stories. And again, if you're being challenged to compete, as long as obviously there's no you know, physical, I mean, right. we're stating the obvious that of course, we don't want any kind of physical, you know, mental stuff going on. But it, got, it goes back to the parents that I challenge, you know, can your young person grow from where they are? Mm-hmm. Two years maybe isn't even enough in my book, but this idea of the, you know, just, it, it's just a circle of, it even prevents the fans from knowing teams because somebody was just on this team and now they're on this team. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I noticed being on the outside, and we're kind of getting on our soapbox, I think a little bit. But you have a great coach and there's a great win, right? And then you've got all this like stuff. Oh, this is our coach. We're proud of our coaching. We, we love our coach. And then the very next game, they lose a heartbreaker. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, how can this happen? Yeah. What's wrong with our coach? The fickle nature. And again, we sign on for this because coaches, at least at, at our level, are paid well. So we sign on for it, um, but at the same time, it, it it's just it's it's beyond belief sometimes mm-hmm. what what people are what they say and what they do without thinking about the principle that they're actually supporting. Yeah, and I think that social media has given has made that into a monster, right? Because you can it's the keyboard warrior thing. You can hide behind it, say whatever you want, and ninety nine percent of the stuff. <laughs> Wouldn't say to your face, right? <laughs> but that leads me to, um, you know, resources and what really gets you through these these times. And I know that you also have faith over fear as your um, motto mantra. I have it on my kitchen on a plate. Faith over fear, worship over worry. What has that meant to you? And how have you applied? How has your faith helped you with this? 
Well, enormously, and especially at my times at Duke when I was diagnosed and had some melanoma issues, some cancer issues, I began to realize more and more I was praying and also praying for support when I went through difficult times at Duke. Um, I was beginning to wonder all about things. And as I prayed, I wondered, well, gee, Joanne, you really didn't go to church a lot as a young person. It just wasn't part of my upbringing. Who exactly are you praying to and what exactly do you believe? And so faith became something very strong for me. Again, I had to qualify with my teams. You know, can, can we talk about faith or is this something that we need to not talk about? And I was refreshed by my, my players where they all said, no, faith is a part of what we believe. And so it was able to bond us at a special level. And I often wonder what my career could have been um, if I'd had faith earlier in my career if I had not been so worried about things, especially at Maine, when we were going through those critical times as a family and as a program. So I, I just have grown to that space and, you know, baptized late in life. You know, I try to make the story interesting, but also a bit humorous in the book because it, it is kind of humorous. And I actually get some tattoos and I talk about that, like you shouldn't get a tattoo unless you're over 50. Because once, once you're over 50, you really do know what's more important in life. Uh, so I joke, I, I joke about that. I, you know, again, I, I have to be careful because people like to use what you say and use it directly. You know, like yeah. I made this big quote, but I say it tongue in cheek that, in fact, you know, you might want to wait a little longer till you know exactly what you're powerful about and what really your passion is. So true. So true. Um I ask everybody on this podcast because it is too much grit to quit. Um, when you hear the word grit, what does that mean to you? It's a very positive word. Grit. Grit is when a player has grit, they have a never have a defeatist attitude in anything. They have the ability to hunker down, you know, get in that bunker and fight no matter what, regardless of scoreboard, regardless of situation. And when you have grit in life, you're willing as well to fight, to fight and to bring um, your best self to the, to the situation, no matter how hard it is, no matter what the constraints are, no matter what the fear factor is, uh, gritty and grit are two wonderful words. And I would have loved to been described as gritty as a player. And it doesn't take away from the fact that you might be a very elegant player, which I don't think I was, but you see those beautiful, elegant athletes, but, you know, but even with their elegance and their ability to perform at the highest level, the incredible grit they have in making a tough shot at a tough time, you know, getting a steal, diving on the floor, it sort of encompasses everything. And it's not just the blue collar player, you know, it's, it's all players and the best all Americans and Olympians and people that are just incredible. Boy, do they have grit when it comes down to it. And it makes a difference. Who comes to mind when you think of that word? Besides yourself, of course. Oh, no. <laughs> um, again, I hope I have grit. I think I do. But I would say any of the top players, Ruthie Bolton, uh, somebody who's in my book, a wonderful person of grit. Uh, she, she is, I would call her spiritual grit. You know, uh -huh. never can quit on anything. I was really exposed to her faith when I was part of coaching her as a graduate assistant and assistant back at Auburn. So Ruthie is definitely one of them. Jasmine Thomas, somebody I, I coached at Duke 
incredible grit. Kristen Haney, another amazing point guard at Michigan State, who went through all sorts of physical issues to become her best self, which started with therapy mm -hmm. and then got to what the real issue was for Kristen. Um, Cindy Blodgett, Amy Vashon, the current coach at Maine. Uh, Cindy is a great player at Maine, incredible grit, as well as Amy in terms of fighting. And you can see the grit now in Amy as a head coach. So I could go on and on. I mean, Maine players, Michigan State players, Duke players, uh, the list goes on and on. I mean, Haley Gorecki, who I recently coached at Duke, who broke all sorts of records at Duke, uh, male or female, is one of the grittiest, m most incredible players I've coached. So I've been very blessed and fortunate. A lot of grit, a lot of players with grit. Yeah, that's what I love about this athletic world. It's like every day you meet people yeah. who just have a gritty, gritty story. Um, I wanted to ask you this, I forgot to before, but I wanna make sure I get this in here. Um, because athletes, typically most of us have grit, right? We have, we've had to overcome adversity, we've had to dig deep. You don't get to the level of a division one athlete or an Olympic athlete without overcoming adversity. That also means that we have this kind of toughness about us and this get through it on my own attitude. And so seeking help and, and going to a therapist mm -hmm. while is, you know, to me and to you, it's no different than going to your athletic trainer or your, uh, mm -hmm. you know, doctor, if mm -hmm. you tore your ACL, right. Yeah. Um, or a sports psychologist, just because you want to be better. You want to, you want to up your mental game, mm -hmm. but for whatever reason, there's still that stigma attached to, I don't need a therapist. I don't need help. What would you say to people about the value and just being open to, to go into therapy. It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily have to mean that you're going to get diagnosed with something, but just overall the value of high level, high achieving people, coaches, yeah. athletes to, to embrace therapy. Yeah. Well, learn it through sports. Uh, be somebody who started by going to your coach, deal with conflict, uh, face to face, deal with issues face to face. If you create those habits, then you're more likely in that journey to say, well, I, I might need to talk to somebody because this is a different feeling than something I've ever felt before. It doesn't feel right. It's not something really my coach can solve. And so I need to go to a wider range of professional help. But when I know I've always had special relationships with student athletes who has, have had the two-way street and come to me and said, I disagree with this, or I agree with this. But that, that, that self-advocacy is the thing that builds your strength in order to self-advocate later. You know, you've also had student athletes that say these things over here, but never speak to you about them. And of course, that can have that sort of, uh, you know, underlying current of non-communication. And that might be the same person later in life who takes that approach where they, they, they don't come out and talk to the appropriate people. Mm -hmm. And there, there are privacy laws and you know, there are laws about things and, and, and people need to remember that, that it's private, their work with doctors and therapists and it, it, it's its own situation. And if I could wave a wand, I would have everyone have a therapist because it's something so different, you know, not your parents, your parents are totally skewed. I'm a parent. Mm -hmm. I can't, I can't use therapy on my children, mm -hmm. but I have to parent. I can't be their therapist. 
and the, the, the outside person who can be more reflective and also bring you to your truth more and say, are you really thinking about this the right way? You know, and where are your emotions and feelings going with this kind of thought? So if I could wave a wand, I would not only elevate mental health and elevate uh, psychiatry as a medical profession to a high level, but I would want everyone to have access. And that's part of Secret Warriors Well, and the foundation is getting access. Access, you know, medical care and the ability to get insurance and get things paid for, um, drugs in particular. Uh, so there's there's a long road here of trying to widen that road as much as possible. Where can people get more information about what you're doing now, um, what your plans are for the future, and and how they can either work with you or support you in this uh, just amazing endeavor and and with your uh, foundation? Well, again, it's it's sort of a entrepreneurial spirit for me right now. As I learn, I've got some people trying to help me and back me and you know the accountant everything that comes into that kind of work um joanne mccauley at gmail.com i'm not afraid to give out my email and that is a way to contact me and to indicate that you'd like to come on board or be part of the solution mm -hmm. you know there are many many problems out there but people that are part of the solution uh tend to you know really make impact so i'm reaching out of course i've reached out to people of tremendous resources because I think people that have done that well in life need to, again, get to stories right. over stigmas and be able to step forward. And mental health affects everything. Mental health, are, those are two great words. It's impaired mental health. Yeah. That is the, the difficult word and something that we have to value. So again, if medicine is an umbrella, I feel like it's the umbrella is tipped upside down right now. What I mean by that is it's not being used properly. If you flip the umbrella and put mental health across all medicines mm -hmm. and elevate psychiatry, I mean, think about the sophistication of changing just a little bit of meds to get brain health for somebody and to change their life. Right. You know, it's, it's very, very interesting. If you, what is surgery to repair my leg if I don't have my mind? And so I'd like to, not me personally, I'd like the umbrella mm -hmm. to flip with, with the help of a great team effort. Yeah. Um, I think you're spot on in that. It, 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 it permeates everything, literally everything that we do. And I, and until this point, it's been the last thing that's looked at. It's Definitely. And because people don't want to talk about it. Right. right. And, and I, and people can come up to me and say, Hey, I really liked your book. And what you're not saying is, Oh, I really like that you went through this situation. <laughs> you know, you're saying, I liked your book. Maybe I liked how it was written or thank you for telling this story. And there's a lot of that feedback coming back. Um, but it's interesting, you know, seeing people one-on-one -on -one in person, you know, trying to give them permission. Yeah. Dive in. I shared my personal story. I think it can help. Can it help everyone? I don't know, uh, but I, I definitely wanted to share it and there it is. It's out there if it can be of help to anyone. Well, I think that you're doing what we're called to do, right? And it's use your pain for a purpose. We, we all go through things. Um, life isn't, isn't easy. It's not, it wasn't meant to be. God never said, you're gonna, I'm gonna put you on this earth and it's gonna be a you know, free ride down highway 101 and no, no traffic, you know? Right. <laughs> Stop down yes. the road. It's, that's not the way it works, but um, 
to your point, if you can choose faith over fear, if you can choose story over stigma, and you can put that pain to a purpose to help the people behind you, that's, that's loving your neighbor. Yes, exactly. And well said. Exactly. So where can people get this book? Yes. Okay. Uh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Hop right on there. I, I think there was a log jam on the soft covers, meaning some people were getting reports that, well, it, you're going to get this in March or April. Uh, so challenge Amazon and challenge Barnes and Noble. It's in bookstores as well across the country. Uh, you know, it's, it's, we're, we're doing fun things with it. We're trying to get more. Uh, obviously, Robin Roberts was incredible. Mm-hmm. I mean, and is a star basketball player in her own right. Uh, from Mississippi to see her journey and how many people she helps along the way. So it was incredible to be on GMA with with the producers and with those folks. They were just great. Um, but Amazon is the way to go. And um, I just hope people will maybe think about the hardcover. I think there's a lot of hardcover <laughs> in stock. And of course, I'll be doing one of those. Is it audible when you read it? What, what's yes. it called again? When you, I got to read audible. the book. Good. Uh, so- I, I looked for you on Audible and like, dang, it's not there because I was one of those. I went to buy it on Amazon and it was um, backed up, but I didn't even click on the hardcover. So I'll go and do that. Oh, that's, I know it's expensive, but I'm, no, no, no. I'm definitely. I like the hardcover of books. I'm a I do too. I do too. First. Yes, I, I do Audible too. Audible first, then the hardcover, then the Kindle version. Okay. <laughs> that's I got good. it. <laughs> but just much like, you know, with pod, my, me and the, this podcasting world, it's also important to elevate the voice of podcasters and authors through giving ratings and reviews. So how can people review your book? Oh, people can review. Anyone can review, which is fascinating. And you do it through Amazon and you just get on there. I've had some really nice notes from people, which I would love to, you know, wish they'd be on Amazon because that certainly helps spread the word. And if we spread the word, you know, we get more voice as we get more voice we get more opportunity and it starts to snowball in such a, a way. And then of course that foundation, which I'd like my children to run, you know, when, when, when John and I are well gone from this earth, uh, you'd like to pass on something. And I'd like to pass that on to the children and, and, and how they would manage that with other people. So again, I hope people will come on board and, and buy and, and I'd be happy to sign. I'm going to be doing book signings and all of that with the pandemic uh, slows down a little bit, uh, but I'm really grateful for this time with you today. It's been a lot of fun. Well, thank you for uh, sharing your time with us and sharing your story. I think it's going to be um, incredibly impactful, and I just appreciate everything that you're doing to elevate this space. So well, I appreciate Well, Shelly, you do good work, and these podcasts are amazing. They're very thorough. The questions are great, and um, you know, I'm just really grateful for this time. Thank you. That's a wrap for this edition of Too Much Grit to Quit on Blue Wire Hustle. I'm your host, Shelley Till. Please join me again the next time and make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform.